Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, let's get right into it. So source number five on page two. Uh, we're still doing a little bit of introduction into Sefer Tillim, but, uh, but as I mentioned, Bezus Hashem, we're going to be learning uh, the first, uh, first Mizmor today. In, uh, more in depth, a little bit more in terms of introduction. I promise we could do hakdamos. We could do introductions for pretty much forever on any topic uh, in uh, in in Torah. There's like there's so much because all of Torah, you know, Chazal tells us that divrei Torah are aniim b'makom echav ashirim b'makom Right? That that in some places you'll find like just a little bit explained, and then you have to look somewhere else, and all of a sudden there's like a whole wealth of information. So any topic that you open up, if you pull the thread in Torah long enough, you'll eventually find that there's uh, marachas upon marachas, networks upon networks of ideas. And the rabbi that taught me that, I, I think I mentioned here, um, we had um, just uh, not necessarily Tillam related, but we had a Chabura in Yeshivara Kotel when I was there. Rabbi Tarragon uh, got, uh, got us in touch with his brother-in-law, with, um, with Rabbi Eitan Feiner Shlita, and, uh, who's now the rabbi of the White Shul in Farakwe. And Rabbi Feiner, who, who I knew from Kem Simcha, and, and, and Moraviva, his wife as well from Kem Simcha, Rabbi Feiner uh, decided that he would learn with us from the Sefer Nefesh Chaim. Nefesh Chaim is a seminal work of Jewish thought uh, from... Um, from Rav Chaim of Velazhin, and, uh, and it's an amazing uh, work, as for Sha'arim, I believe, and um, it's a big work, and it's, uh, we got, I think, over the course of a year, we used to learn during the lunchtime, over the course of a year, I think we learned like two pages of the book, because every time Rabbi Feiner would touch upon a particular idea, so all of a sudden, you pull the thread on that idea, and you find uh, everything, you know, the entire Torah is connected to the entire Torah. To me, it was a profound experience of emuna of faith in the sense that uh, in the sense that you see the Torah is this is this michlal echad it's it all comes together everything is olabekana achas everything goes in together um, which is makes it hard sometimes to get to the punch and this is all a way of saying I'm sorry that we've been spending so much time in Akdamas I know that uh, I think that people uh, had wanted to jump into the actual Psalms themselves but um, you'll forgive me I've, I've been mitzamsim I've, uh, I've managed to constrict myself a little bit just a little bit more in source number five in Shira Shirim Rabbah um Shir Hashir, of course, one of the Megill is written by David HaMelech's son, uh, by Shlomo HaMelech. Uh, so in Shir Hashir, there's a line, uh, at least in the, uh, at the pshat level, in the basic understanding level, it says, Kemigdal David Tzavarecha. Kemigdal David Tzavarecha banoi letalpios. Right, so it describes like a person's neck. The beloved's neck is like the is like the tower of David, built up to its ramparts, built up to its turrets, uh, to the top. So uh, a cryptic verse. What could that possibly mean besides talking about the, uh, I guess, the uh, beauty of an elongated neck of the? Uh, I know that there's a there's a tribe in sub-Saharan Africa that actually they put uh, from from a young age they start with uh, they start with rings around their neck, and as they go as they go along. So they add on, and eventually uh, it makes it so, so that their necks a, a very interesting kind of body modifications. A lot of tribes in sub-Saharan Africa practice body modification. The reason I know about that is pathetic. The reason I know about that is uh, not pathetic. Uh, Susan Sontag, one of my favorite writers, um, wrote uh, uh, Tor Lenny Reifenstahl. 
Yamach Shema, tore her uh, a new one, uh, and and uh, and really, uh, really uh, tore apart Len- Lenny Wright, the fascist aesthetic, uh, which is what the article was about. It's an essay in, in uh, I think it's an essay in Under the Sign of Saturn. If you have Susan, if you're into Susan Sontag, and she talks about the fetishization of these cultures by uh, by the West and how we, uh, but uh, but there was a strong culture of uh, body modification, and that was Kimegdal David Savarecha. I imagine that that is a standard of beauty. There must have been. Uh, the, the, we know that there was. A, we know that there was a cross cultural. Uh, uh, you know, uh, David and uh, the Queen of Shiva. Uh, you know, so maybe maybe that's what it might be referring to. So maybe uh, according to our beauty standards, uh, an elongated neck is not necessarily the most uh, uh, the, the most attractive thing. But that is that is a description of an attractive body. Anyway, Kimigdal David Savarecha. That little shot aside, Kimigdal David Savarecha. So they darshan over here in Shir Hashirim Rabbah. They say Masha Gidel Etchem David Besifro. Migdal is transposed into the word Gidel. What did David Amelech? What did he grow? What did David Amelech cultivate? What did he bring to the fore? Ma Gidel Etchem David Besifro. What did David do in his book, referring to Tilim? So he says Ligzor Yamsuf Ligzarim that Ligozor Yamsuf Ligzarim that just like God to split the sea into different parts. Ligzarim to different parts. Banu Letal Pios. What does it mean that it's built up to its taris? Taritz? Taris. You know, see I'm 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 mixing up between Hebrew and English. So it's like uh it's uh, we used to uh, like uh, somebody that gets very very from right, and they want to go ahead and they want to <laughs> they want to describe they want to like talk uh, they pronounce things with the tough. Uh, I I guess I am out of um, out of source sheets. If people want to share, that would be awesome. Um, in uh, in terms, yeah. If anybody wants a source sheet over here, um, pass it to that gentleman as well. Ah, thank you. It's uh, well, it's the same one, but I had added stuff on. So we're on page, uh, we're on page two of the source sheet. So definitely okay to use it. Anyway, he says, Oh, I forgot to tell my joke. My joke was is that you know, so sometimes people pronounce with the Havara Ashkenazis, right? Where the tough, uh, the tough is soft. It's pronounced with soft, and then there's Havara Svaradit, where the tough is pronounced hard. Uh, in Shul, people always ask me why some things that I say out loud are with Havara Ashkenazis and some are Havara. The, anyway, uh, so the joke was is that uh, you know you come back and you, with uh, Havara, uh, you know you're so from you pronounce everything with Havara Ashkenazis. So you say uh, you know it's like in like Yisrael, you think that really the word is Yitrael, Yitrael. Anyway, that's the joke. So what is Talpio? What does it mean that the the Tower of David is built up to its turrets? What's that referring to? And this is the bolded section. That is safer. Referring to the book of Tilim, to the book of Psalms that is said by many mouths. We refer to ten individuals that are responsible, turning to page three, that are responsible for the work of Tilim, that their words are contained within Sefer Tilim. So we have Adam, we have uh, the, uh, Adam Arishon, first man, Avraham, first Jew, Moshe, the teacher of Israel, David Hamelech, Ushlomo. And then we mentioned others as well. Uh, they ask, who are the other five? Rav and Rabbi Yochanan. It's a machloket, the dispute between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan. Rav says, the other five authors in Sefer Tehillim were Asaf, Heman, Yedusun, Ushlosha, B'nai Korach, 
Ezra. Uh, so added on Ezra over here, but we talked about this last time. A number of these figures, Asaf and Yedusun and Haman, were members of the Levite choir in the temple. And the way that it would work is that the Levites would stand on a, uh, on a platform, on, on a a stage, and as uh, people would ascend uh, or, or do various different things in the temple, uh, bringing sacrifices or ascending up the stairs from the Siloam pool as the uh, Ole Laregel uh, came from uh, the people that had made pilgrimage to Jerusalem, had ascended from, uh, from, from purifying their bodies in the king's pool. So they would sing these songs. So we said, Rav Huna B'Shem Rav Acha, and this part is translated as well. Rav Huna B'Shem Rav Acha. Rav Huna says, Afa Pisha Asara B'nei Adam Amru Sefer Tehillim. Even though we know that there are 10 authors in the book of Tehillim and that David HaMelech compiled or redacted or put them all together. So even though there's 10 people that it's called the person, the one author in which they're all subsumed underneath that rubric is David HaMelech. It's his book. It's his Sefer. It's David HaMelech's book is the book of Psalms. To what can this be compared to? You have ten authors and we decide to call the book on the name of one of the authors. What, what is that comparable to? A group of individuals come, they want to sing a song to the king. And the king says to them, look, you're all pleasing to me, you're all pious and good people. You all want to praise me and sing this hymn before the king. But one person is going to take all of your, all of your singing. He's going to be the one that sings it to me. Lama shakolo arev. So you would expect maybe he's a, a greater tzaddik. Maybe he's more righteous. Maybe he does more mitzvos. Maybe fulfills more commandments. <coughs> That's not the reason why David HaMelech was, called, was, was the singer of Tehillim, that it's his book. The reason why it's David HaMelech, Shekolo Arev, his voice was the most pleasing, yet the most beautiful voice. Right? In a sense, there's almost, a, there's almost an aspect of, uh, of goral, of almost a, a fate over here. The David HaMelech was fated to be the one upon whom Sefer Tehillim, the book of Psalms, was written. Because his voice was beautiful. God, it's like, you know, there's, there's no, Altam v'reach v'keach. You can't argue on, t- you can't, right? There's no accounting for taste. And when it comes to God's taste, right? Who does God want to sing to? So you can't argue. Moshe, he gave us the Torah. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, in a different source. Moshe gave us the Torah. Avraham gave us the discovery of Akash Baruch Hu. Adam Arishan was the, the first man. But when it comes, when it comes to figuring out, yeah, hello, uh, we're out of source sheets. So if you want to share, sharing is good. Uh, I, will, uh, I will endeavor as much as possible to ensure that uh, all the terms are as transparent and, uh, and as clear as possible. So bear with me. Uh, the... Um, David HaMelech, God says, David HaMelech is my taste of singer, uh, so to speak, right? As if, as if we could say such a thing about God, right? That God has taste, that God has, uh, that God has preference. God said, my preference is that they should all be called by King David. And we're going to see why in a moment, because King David gives expression to the human experience in a way that uh, these other tzaddik and these other righteous individuals would not, would not so easily be able to give expression to. So he says, Lama Shekolo Arif, Kach Therefore, so God says to all these ten righteous people, you're all beautiful, you're all great, you're all, you're all pious and righteous. But, but at the end of the day, it's David HaMelech who's going to sing for me. It's David Yomari De Kulchem. David HaMelech will sing for all of you. Lama Why Shekolo Arev? Because his voice is beautiful. This is based on what's said in Shmuel, in the book of Samuel. 
in the, in the second book of Samuel, in chapter 23, it says that David HaMelech is called Naim Zmirot Israel, the sweet singer of Israel. That's actually, I'll explain where that comes from in a moment. Who is able to articulate the singing of, of, of the Jewish people of Israel? That's David ben Yishai. That's, that's King David, the son of Yishai. Now, uh, this is interesting because it's taken from the very last words of David HaMelech's life. At the end of Sefer Shmuel, so Shmuel Anavi gives voice. Samuel gives voice to King David. And he, says, and he says, this is the last words of a dying king who's been through... All, all of human experience, King David has experienced ups and downs, the good and the bad, uh, and ugly. King David has experienced all of those things. And he says at the end, David HaMelech refers to himself, and, and the Navi Samuel says that this is the way that he should be referred to, Naim Zmirot Israel, the sweet singer of Israel. Rashi says, uh, Rashi explains that he says that, that it's only David. When you choose the, it's like you get to a particular venue or something, and you say, what kind of music do you play in this venue? Right? So there's an appropriate kind of music, right? That's, uh, I got to see last week, uh, my wife and I went to go see, it's uh, Beethoven's 250th birthday. So we went to go see the opening night in Carnegie Hall, and we, uh, and we listened to the first symphony of Beethoven. It, was, it's, it, it brings tears to your eyes. You watch these, it, I know how cliche that is, but, it, but it's absolutely the most, all these pieces coming together to form this music. It's the most unbelievable thing to see. It, and, it's people's whole life of practice coming into this moment where they where they make this music. It is it is stunning and and it arouses every emotion. That's what music does. And we talked about music last week. We're not going to stop talking about music because we are you're talking, talking about. You're talking about David Hamelech being the singer. The singer. So do we refer to Tehillim as songs always? We we refer to Tehillim. I explained the the etymology of of calling it Tehillim. First of all. Calling it Tehillim, which is the Hebrew word for the book of Psalms, calling it Tehillim is a bit uh, of, uh, of uh, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Why is it a mistake? Because grammatically it should be Tehillot, or Tehi, right? It should be Tehillot. It should be in the feminine. I don't want to get too deep into it, but, but again, uh, Psalm is based, off of the, uh, is based off the Greek translation, Salmos, of, of Mizmorim. Mizmor, uh, it refers, that, that refers Mirot. It's close, it has a close affinity with songs. And we do know, we mentioned, we mentioned last week, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we mentioned two weeks ago that, that there are numerous references to King David in Scripture as, as being a singer and a musician. And, and furthermore, we know that most of the notes that appear at the beginning of every psalm, a psalm to David, uh, hallelujah, all of these things are actually musical notes, selah. Right? We, don't, we don't exactly know what they are because since the destruction of the temple, we, we, don't know, we don't know how to play them anymore. We lost that, in, but there's references. You know, praise God with the lyre. Praise, praise God with the harp. I told you that the Talmud tells us on, um, I think, the third page of the Sechet Brachot, of Tractate Brachot, the Talmud tells us that King David, you know, he was, um, I, don't want to, I don't want to say something wrong. King David was, uh, was like a, a rock star of sorts, right? You know, like you have these images of the rock star that, that sleeps with his, with, with his or her guitar, or the instrument is next to their bed. King David literally had his harp next to his bed. And the Talmud tells us that when the wind would blow in, in, in the dead of night, King David was, not a, was a very light sleeper, it says. He would sleep uh, only like 60 horsepress during the night, and that would be enough for him. That would be sufficient for a king, a person of massive energy. So when King David, when the wind would blow through, the harp would play from itself, King David would arise in the middle of the night and he would play 
play music. So we know that all these were indeed set to music. We did say that some of them, I, I think, uh, it's my theory, that maskil, right? Lamanatseach maskila David, which is another kind of opening line to Tehillim. Maskil, I would say, you know, I would make that akin to like spoken word, right? Perhaps, right? Maskil is a contemplative uh, type of thought. But, but some of them, some of these are dirges. Some of these are, are anthems. Uh, you know, Hallelujah, Kolov de Hashem, Hallelujah, Shemesh Vayarech. The entire firmament is singing out to God. Some of them are the entire world singing in concert together, and, and some of them, as we'll see, are, are the moanings, are the are the groanings of an individual who's who's in the the dark night of the soul, who's experiencing who's experiencing pain. So that's not. That, but the exception proves the rule, is what I'm saying, Martin. Okay. That's, that's what I'm saying. So, David HaMelech, the last words, they said, Naim's Mirot. So, so I said, I started off by saying that, why did I mention Carnegie Hall? Because Carnegie Hall is a certain, you play a certain music there, right? That's not to say I'm sure anybody could have any kind of concert, but it's associated with a certain kind of music that's appropriate for the venue. The, in the temple, the only music that was appropriate for the venue of the temple, of the Beis Hamikdash, of the holiest place in the entire world, Rashi says, The only songs that we sang in the temple that were allowed to be sung in the temple were the songs of King David. That was the only music that was allowed there. That was the only lyrics that were allowed there. And that all goes to show us, as we're going to point out later, as Rashi says, Ruach David Amach says, The Spirit of God spoke within me, and it came out in song. Through Moses, through Moshe Rabbeinu, the spirit of Hashem came out through halachot, through Jewish law, through how you treat the laborer, how you go ahead and leave over a portion, leave over a portion of your field. Um, what holidays do you bring? Which sacrifices? And when it came, when when the spirit of God spoke through through King David, the way that it came out was through the most beautiful music expressions of the soul. Uh, we're going to skip the next source, the Zohar. The Zohar tells us, I'll tell you outside, the Zohar tells us, if you want to read the Aramaic, um, it, it's a beautiful thing. The Zohar tells us, but the chief work of Jewish mysticism tells us that David HaMelech in his songs, right, a, a great musician or a great songwriter is able to tap into human emotion. It says that David HaMelech didn't just tap into human emotion, but he tapped into divine emotion, so to speak. As if, as if to speak, say that the God relates to the world in particular ways, in particular moods at particular times. David HaMelech tapped into that as well. And, he, and, and in doing so, through his music and through his psalms, he was able to bring heaven and earth together. So that when we say psalms as a devotional act, it's able to go ahead and to bridge the gap between our world and the way that we experience life in this world and the way that God wants us to experience the way that God wants us to give words to verbalize our, our human experience you know we say Mishle in, um, in Mishle in Proverbs we say I believe it's in Mishle if a person is worried so the best thing that you could do is find someone to talk to Right? The best thing you could do is find somebody to talk to. Oftentimes I'll say to people, uh, you know, if, uh, if, I, if, I, if I'm asked for advice, which doesn't happen often, but if I'm asked for advice sometimes, so I'll say sometimes the greatest gift that, uh, that you could give sometimes is to have somebody listen, the gift of therapy, right? The gift of having somebody to talk to. You're feeling worry, express it to other people. And David HaMelech found expression, not just to daiga, not just to worry, but to joy, to sadness, to pain, to alienation, to exclusion, to uh, jubilation. All of these things found expression in David HaMelech. Uh, the problem is we, we only know a few uh, of the Psalms because we say them in prayers. You have to go through the whole book. And, and, and we mentioned that there were groups in Jerusalem at the turn of the last century that, would, that, that we have testimony would go through all 
of the book of Psalms, right? The entire Psalter they'd go through daily, on a daily basis. They'd go through daily, wow. daily. They would wake up. I don't what know. Else did they do all day? They would, I mean, we do know that the Jewish community, the Jewish community in Jerusalem, the old yeshiva, as it was called, was absolutely as destitute as can be. They were totally, uh, they were totally, totally dependent upon alms, not psalms, psalms and alms from, uh, from, uh, from people outside that would send money to them. You know, today is the yard site. Today is the, the anniversary of the death of uh, the great Gaon, the great uh, genius, Rabbi Yerucham Fischl Perla. Rabbi Yerucham Fischl Perla uh, wrote, um, it, it's, now it's reprinted, but it's about a thousand page tome on a poem, on a poem written by Rabbi Saja Gaon, who was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who, who was uh, a Babylonian. Uh, when the Jews were in Bavel, he was uh, part of the Geonate. Uh, we're talking in the 10th century. And, um, and he wrote a poem for Shavuot, uh, and, and the poem in honor of the giving of the Torah. So, so it's said that within this epic poem, uh, kind of like, uh, like a Torah Beowulf, in this, in this epic poem are, are contained all of the 613 commandments. So Rav Yeruch official Perla um, takes that poem and wrote a thousand-page commentary <laughs> showing what Rav Sajagon's particular shita's particular approach to understanding what counts as a mitzvah and what doesn't count as a mitzvah. So today's is your Why do I mention him? Because in the book, uh, Guardians of Jerusalem, which is the Art Scroll uh, biography, I think we have it here, uh, Art Scroll biography talking about uh, the leader of the old Yishuv, Rabbi Chaim Zonin, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, and, uh, and his community. It says that when Rabbi Yeruch Fischl Perla, his, he, was, uh, he did not function as a communal rabbi. He wrote, I mean, I guess you need a lot of time to write thousand-page books like that, uh, magnificent rabbinic tomes. And uh, when his wife passed away, he was despondent. Uh, and, and she ran the store that the family had for their meager income, and he was despondent. And there was this world-class Tamachacham, this world-class Torah scholar who really had nothing. And uh, he was taken in by the Jewish community. He lived in Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld's house to the end of his life. Today is his yard site, and I guess it's worth mentioning it, mentioning him on the anniversary of his death. And he was brought into the house of Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. This is, that was the old, uh, so in that community, people would say Tehillim all day. They would go through the entire Psalter. They, they, so, so they knew all of the Tehillim. Even, anyway, next source, yes. It still exists. Still exists. That we're talking. We're talking during the time of the second Aliyah. The second Aliyah was from 1904 to 1914. Uh, that was an Aliyah mainly of Russian uh, Russian Jews that came to Eretz Israel at the time. It was part of a, the longer Aliyah that made its way to the land of Israel. Um, but the old Yishuv were the were the separatist communities. Uh, what we would call the ultra orthodox in the New York Times nowadays. <laughs> whatever. Did you read what, the, uh, uh, that doesn't want to be called ultra. I don't know. I didn't read that. I, I only get the weekender. So, anyway, let's continue. So that's that's the Zohar. The last uh, last source on this page is from Medrash Socher Tov Mizmar Aleph. I'll read it slowly and I'll translate every word. So the Medrash says like this: Atmotzi shekol asa Moshe asa David. We find that everything that Moses did. King David did as well. And they give a number of different examples of the parallels between the life of the lawgiver and the life of the song giver. We say, Moses gave the Jewish people the five books of the Torah, and corresponding to that, David HaMelech gave us the book of Psalms, that has within it five different books. Now we said that in the Jewish canon, the 24 books of Tanakh, so Tehillim does not count, Psalms does not count as five different books, 
but we've identified, or, or Chazal, our rabbis have identified five distinct sections to Sefer Tillim that, that roughly correspond to the five books of Moses. And, and we, for example, we know that there are certain lines that appear uh, or are appended to the end of certain psalms. For example, at the end of Psalm 72, it says, you know, uh, and it says, these are the end of the tehillos, of the tefillos, of the prayers of David ben Yishai. Now, David Amelk didn't stop at Psalm 72. He went all the way to Psalm 150, uh, at least in the Jewish Psalter. In, 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 uh, in other Psalters, or for example, uh, we have the traditions, even in Jewish tradition, for example, in Minor Tractate Sofrim. Uh, Minor Tractate Sofrim says that there's not 150, there's 147. Uh, there was an, a, a, a lot of arguments about which Psalms are broken into two, which Psalms are, are, are actually, uh, are, which Psalms are actually meant to be together, combined exactly. There's a lot of debate, what we have here, right? So that's the 150 that's uh, been passed down now through the generations. But the five books start with Ashrei Aish, the first Psalm. Lamanatzeach Maskil is the beginning of the second book. Mizmor La'asaf, the third. Tefillah Lemoshe, the fourth. And Yomru Ge'ule Hashem. So five books con- corresponding to five books of the Torah. What is that? What does that indicate? What's that meant to say to us? So I think a few things we can learn from that. That, that King David uh, wrote, wrote a five-part book corresponding to Moses' five-part book. I think that teaches us a few things. First is, is that uh, Tehillim parallels and it complements the Torah in the sense that the Torah is primarily a book of laws, speaks more to what we need to do, and Tehillim uh, speaks to what we feel and how we need to feel and how we give expression to that. Uh, we also mentioned last week the difference, the, the idea of spiritual experience coming two weeks ago from, from bottom up, what we call in Kabbalah the itrauta dilatata, an arousal from below, right? That's, uh, for example, if I feel compelled to sing to God, that's an arousal from below, and I bring myself into a spiritual state. There is an arousal from above in Kabbalistic language called the itrauta dilayla, and that's referring to something that's coming down, a spontaneous moment or, 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 or a vision that, uh, from God that, that appears to us without any preparation. I would say that the Torah is a model of something coming from above, descending down below. Right? We receive it on top of the mountain, it comes directly from God, and, and the Ksav Elohim is given, the, the, the writ of God is given to Moshe to bring down to people. Save, that's Moses' five books. David Amalek's five books, I would want to say, is something coming from below, human experience that's being sent upon high, directed towards God. So they complement each other, two sides of that coin. Another thing is also that, that and I keep on mentioning this because I think it's so important, especially speaks to the question that I think, uh, that I think I'm sort of modeling uh, our, our discussion on, which is, you know, how do we make such a book relevant? Or how do we use such a book? How does this become a tool for us in our own religious experience? So we have a line that comes from the rabbis that tell us about the Torah. The books of the Torah say, Ben Bagbag, it's a song. Ben Bagbag told us, Ben Bagbag uh, was a convert and he uh, became a great rabbi. And Ben Bagbag mentions in, uh, in the Talmud, he says, right? Turn it over and turn it over for all is within it. Everything you want to find Anything, it's within the Torah. Sometimes more overt, sometimes more difficult to find. It's all there. So if the, ar- the argument is, if that follows, that David Amel wrote a parallel book, 
is that afachba vafachba dekulaba. Anything you experience, anything that you feel, I'm not just saying this over and over again because, because I want to will it to be true. It's because I believe it to be true and I hope that you will also. Is that within Tehillim is hafachba vafachba dekulaba. Every aspect of human experience is found within. I'm going to give examples. I know that I, I keep on saying this. I haven't given examples. I want to give examples. Uh, that is... Um, that is, the, uh, that, is the, that is the comparison between David Amelik's book and Moshe's book. So now we move on. Uh, now we move on. I said examples, so I want to give examples. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us that, um, that Nebuchadnezzar, wicked king Nebuchadnezzar, is responsible for the destruction of the temple, um, the first temple. So Nebuchadnezzar, wicked king who exiled the Jews. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar wanted to sing, wanted to have his own book of Tehillim. He was a king as well, a very powerful king. Uh, in fact, the most powerful king in the world at the time. So much so that Chavakuk uh, looks, uh, looks at Nebuchadnezzar and his predecessor and he says, God Almighty, how could you let such a thing be? How could you let them conquer the world in such a blitzkrieg? How could this happen? How could these wicked people have such, have such strength and ability? So Amrav Yitzchak, he says, Yitzchak zav roteach letoch piv sarasha. Let molten gold, molten gold, a crown for the king, right? Let molten gold be poured into the mouth of that Russia, of that wicked man. Let molten gold be put. Ilmale b'malach v'satra piv. Had an angel not come and smacked him on his mouth. Bikesh leganot kol shirot v'tishpachot shamar David b'sefer tilim. He wanted to go ahead and to make a mockery or to degrade everything that David HaMelech had done in the book of Tillam. What? what what's, what's going on here? What was Nebuchadnezzar? What was that wicked king? Uh, uh, maybe a, a, a negative to David HaMelech, right? The parallel and negative to David HaMelech is the righteous king. What was Nebuchadnezzar trying to do? We have a tradition from the Katska Rebbe that tells us, great Hasidic master, that tells us Nebuchadnezzar was, was well equipped to sing a song of praise to God. That's what he thought God was. He was well equipped to do so. He was a king. He had many of the experiences of King David. He was able to go ahead and to, uh, to, to issue a kind of book like that. Why would that be a genai? Why would that be a degradation to the book of Tehillim? So the Kutzker says that David HaMelech showed us something amazing. That a king, the person that you expect has everything. The world is his oyster. He could do whatever he wants. And he has everything. Every material desire is fulfilled in power and, and might. All this stuff. Wisdom. Everything he has... But David HaMelech was able to sing Tehillim not just on the good, but David HaMelech was able to give Tehillim to expression for the bad also. Nebuchadnezzar's book, the Kutzker says, was only going to be a Tehillim for the good things that a king experiences. It was only going to be, you know, the, the rosy, peachy outlook of Tehillim. That would have been nice and fine, but Tehillim is a two-sided coin. What kind of examples do we find in David HaMelech's book? What kind of examples? I have your four examples from throughout Sefer Tehillim that I think give some expression to what I'm trying to, to point out. For example, David Amel talks about the fact that God is sometimes distant from us, that God is hidden or seems to be absent from our lives, dus escondidos in Latin, that God is running away from us. Yoshev b'seser elyon b'tzel shakayis lonan, right? That God is dwelling, is dwelling in some inscrutable lofty sphere and, and, and we Cannot, we cannot understand how, how, how he's so distant, and yet I find my refuge in the shadow of the Lord. David HaMelech also says, What value do, is my life? What value is my life as I descend into the pit? As I am still dust, can I say the truth of God? Can I speak the truth of God as a human being, as dust, as, as but dust and ashes? 
Can I, can I speak the, can I understand? Distance from God is something that's given expression in David HaMelech's, uh, in David HaMelech's Tehillim. Or we find in the bottom line, Mizmor David Shalom Beno, most famously, David HaMelech's uh, third son, born by his wife Ma'aka. Uh, David HaMelech had a son named uh, Absalom, 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 Absalom. David HaMelech's son was beautiful, very handsome. He was a populist. People, he said that uh, when people would come to him for counsel, he would kiss them. People, he would bring them in close. Uh, people loved him very much. Um, he was uh, wise. He was brilliant. And Absalom rebelled against his father. And he declared himself king in Hebron. And, uh, and he amassed an army. In fact, it was only due to the fact that David HaMelech had sent Chushim, had sent a, a spy into the court of Absalom, that David HaMelech, who was on the run, he had crossed over the Jordan, running away from his son. It was his most beloved son. That uh, David, HaMelech, uh, David HaMelech was only given the opportunity to, to have his army uh, prepare the bodyguards that remained with him, what we call the Kresi Uplesi, the bodyguards that remained loyal to King David during the insurrection of Absalom, that David Amalekh was able to, because of Hushim's advice, Achitofel, uh, an advisor, trust advisor David, who had turned and told Absalom, now's the time to attack, chase them, right? You have them cornered, go and get them, cross over the Jordan, wipe them out, and assume the kingship. Uh, David Amalekh, uh, so Hushim said, don't listen to that advice. You have to prepare. You need your army. Don't, don't do that. And that gave David HaMelech time to prepare. And, and, and there was a battle. And uh, Avshalom's hair, famously, as he was riding his mule underneath the oak tree, his, uh, his hair got caught in. And Yoav, uh, one of David HaMelech's generals, uh, disobeying, a, disobeying an order, uh, shot three darts, three spears into Avshalom's heart, killing him. David HaMelech didn't know. Um, he had instructed specifically not to. Yoav... Yoav had had his own personal dispute with Avshalom. Avshalom had burnt his fields. And, uh, and Yoav killed him. David HaMelech hears and he cries, Avshalom, my son, Avshalom. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a jarring, jarring uh, line that David HaMelech is mourning his son who had rebelled against him. But he puts that into Psalms. As he's running away, David HaMelech is running away, a king. Right? Nebuchadnezzar can never do such a thing. A normal king would never be able to do such a thing. Somebody's trying to usurp my throne. How could I... How could I feel anything? But David Amalek's A psalm to David as he was running, as he was on the lamb from Avshalom, his son. His son is trying to kill him, is trying to usurp the throne, has bedded his concubines, has gone ahead and has usurped power and declared himself king in Hebron, which was the seat of David's kingdom before he moved to Jerusalem. And, and David Amalek sings to God at this time, on the run. David Amalek shows us what it, what it is to sing to Hashem, even in dark times. And finally, uh, one of my most favorite lines in all of Tehillim, David Amalek says, Min karasika anani Right? Min from the narrow places, from the straits, I call out to you, O God. Answer me in the wide open spaces. To me, you could say that line over and over and over again, and you still don't get to the depths of what that line is trying to communicate. We feel sometimes constricted. In spiritual life, in, in our in regular life, we feel constricted. Work and, and life is piling up on top of us, and it's starting to amass itself. And we feel crushed at times from it. That's the meitzarim, right? We we Jews refer to uh, refer to the dark times on our calendars, the times of destruction, are called bein hametzarim, the narrow the narrow straits of the year. That we pass through these narrow straits, and we we beg God answer us. Anani Answer me in the wide open spaces. Let me experience God with, with an openness, with a, sense of, with a sense of space and room and, and an ability to, to bring it in. Min karasika, I called out to you, God, from the dark. David HaMelech, right? What, what king could we say would, would, would put such a thing? We talk sometimes, you know, we, um, I, I hate to, I hate to, to, 
to bring in, um, I, I always, actually, I don't hate to do this. I like to do this, right? So, so one of my favorite basketball players, right, Kobe Bryant, so they had the memorial today for him. So his wife gets up, his wife gets up and she's speaking and she's in tears in front of, uh, in front of a whole crowd of people, an arena full of people. Now, uh, now it's, it's all kind of strange because we're talking about celebrity and celebrity is bichlal, something that's impossible, very difficult to understand. Right, uh, it's 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 such a hard concept for for us to understand. Like, what is life like for a celebrity? Right, what is life like for the, those kind of people? I don't mean in a sympathetic way. I mean like a curious kind of way. It'd be nice to be a celebrity, but uh, but but she gets up and she cries, and everybody was pointing out. Look at the strength of an individual to go ahead in front of all these people to talk about losing a daughter and a husband in a tragic, sudden way. Right, what kind of courage does that take? I would say in a similar way, lahavdil. I would say in a similar way to draw a distinction uh, between Vanessa Bryant and David Amelech, but David Amelech also, what king would we expect? Certainly not Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, 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 that kind of a king, the whole, the whole game is a display of power, a display of invulnerability, a display of, 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 uh, of impregnability. Nothing can touch me. I'm a king. I'm, I'm a rock. I'm an island. Nothing can touch me. David Amelech says everything touches me. Right? I am open. I am, I am here. I'm bearing my soul to you. I'm, I'm showing you whatever I've got. And I'm running away from my son, tell him I'm writing it down. I want that to become part of your religious experience. You translate that. When I'm, what's your boreach me avshalom? Is avshalom your problems? Is avshalom uh, the relationships and the bridges you burnt in the past? Can you sing Mizmor and tell him to that? Can you praise God on that? Right? What's your mate Sarim? What are the narrow straits that you experience? Can you say I'm calling out to you, God, from that? That's what Tehillim does. Rosham Shlomfar Hirsch, this is in English. Rosham Shlomfar Hirsch, the great uh, German, uh, German rabbi um, and leader of uh, the German Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community. So Rosham Shlomfar Hirsch, in his introduction to Tehillim, writes the following, and, and I bring this paragraph in full. Um, I, pre- I am a liar. We're, we're almost done, and we're not going to get to that psalm. I'm sorry. I, I am a liar. So, Rosham, I told you, Hakdamas, we could spend forever just doing introductions. I'm sorry. So, Rosham Shulfarher says this beautiful, beautiful idea in his introduction to Tehillim. I was really struck by what he says here. And this goes together with everything we've been saying tonight, at least, about the parallelism between, between Sefer Tehillim, the book of Psalms, and the books of Moses. That, that, it's, uh, that almost, to a certain extent, they're of equal weight uh, uh, in, in spiritual respects. Law and spirit. And, and both of them contain... Uh, both of them contain the other. For example, there are many halachot that we there are many halachot that we learn from uh, from Sefer Tehillim that are quoted in rabbinic texts. As, uh, I'll give you one example. Right? We say, um, I thought I would give an example. Kolatz uh, says, "All my bones shall declare. All my bones and sinews declare God who is like you." Right? So Chazal learned from that. And rabbis learn from that that that's the source for shuckling. That's the source for... for <laughs> it, it, that's, that's the rabbinic source for, for movement during prayer. There is some, there is some uh, discussion, a contratemps at least, about how much or when a person should go ahead and should, uh, should gesticulate and move during prayer. But, but, but Psalms and, and, and the book of Psalms is seen as the source of many halachot, of many, of many aspects of Jewish law. But it's primarily a book of spirit. The Torah is primarily a book of law, but it has stories and has spirit in it to be sure as well. It's all spirit. It's all the same thing. The Midrash tells us, stresses the close connection of the book of Psalms with the Torah by stating that David began his Psalms with the same words with which Moshe ended his last benediction. Moshe Rabbeinu Moses is blessing all of the Jewish people at the end of his life before he gets up to the top of the mountain and, he's, uh, and, and, and he receives the kiss of God, so to speak. 
So Moshe says, Ashrecha Yisrael, praiseworthy are you Jewish people, mi kamocha am nosha ba'ashem. Who is like you, the nation that finds its salvation in God? Who is like you, Jewish people? Ashrecha Yisrael. Which line, the line itself was repeated uh, centuries, centuries later by, by Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest Jewish sages of all time. He said, Ashrechem Yisrael, lifnei miyatem etarim, before whom do you become purified? Fnei avichem shabashamayim. So Shanshvar Hirsch says, that Ashrecha, that Ashrei, praiseworthy are you, which is the last blessing of the Torah, not the last word. It's the last blessing with Moshe took leave of his people. With this blessing, he indicated the lofty goal of salvation toward which the Jewish people steadily stride forward if only it is willing to look to the hands of God alone and to his guidance only for all its welfare, its safety, its power, and its glory. God alone. Hence, David begins his Psalms. So David HaMelech, a segue Right, a seamless segue. There's been a lot of prophecy in between David Amelech and, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? We have the book of Joshua, we have the book of Judges, we have the book of Kings. Right? There's been a lot of distance between the two. But David begins his psalms with the words, Ashrei Ha'ish. Remember the first psalm that we talked about? Ashrei Ha'ish, Asher Lo Alach, Batsas, Rishim, V'der Chataim, Lo Amad, Ubamashav, Leitzim, Lo Yashav. That David Amelech begins his psalms riffing off of that final word, that final blessing that Moses gives to the people, Ashrecha Yisrael, praiseworthy are you, Jewish people. And David HaMelech says, Ashrei Ha'ish. In a certain sense, we have the Torah, Moses blessing the people as a unit, and David HaMelech speaking primarily to the individual, Ashrei Ha'ish and Ashrecha Yisrael coming together. Those two pieces form this, uh, form this puzzle and that link the Torah of Moses, the five books of Moses, together with the book of Tehillim and its five parts. I'll just finish the end of this beautiful paragraph. He says, David HaMelech begins his psalms with the words, Ashrei to describe the eternal progress or forward striding towards salvation of that man, of the individual, who accepts the divine law transmitted by Moses as the sole fount for his knowledge and the only basis for his conduct. And when our sages wish to name men who now stand and ever have stood ready to help advance the supreme goal set for the world, one scholar can name only David. The, only other, the other only Moses, and the third only the Messiah. Amar Rav lo ivre alma, Rav said to us in tractate Sanhedrin, the world was not created, Elalid David, but for King David, Shmuelam or Lamoshe. Another opinion says it was for Moses, Verav Yochanan Omer, Lamashiach. And obviously, it's not a machloket, it's not a dispute here for whom the world was created. The world was created for all of us, but the world was created for all of us based on these three models. Even as Moses had been the instrument of God for the founding of the nation, so David was to be God's instrument for the spiritual guidance of that people on the road to its goal until the end of time. And, and I'll add a coda to this. I can't really add to Rav Hirsch's words. But I would say, I would read it a little bit differently. Even as Moses became, has been the instrument of God for the founding of our nation, so David was to be God's instrument for the spiritual guidance and founding of the individual. That it was the Ashrei Ha'ish, praiseworthy is the individual. Uh, we still have not got, just a little preview, Mir Hashem, I have a sense that we're going to be going way more than five classes on this. We're going to start with uh, uh, next week. If you want to prepare yourselves, Mizmor Le David Hashem Lo I believe it's Psalm... Uh, I believe it's Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23.